the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. What would you do if God came for you, if out of the blue, he said, I need you to pack up your life and move. You need to get your stuff together. I'll tell you where we're going later. Imagine trying to explain that to your family or your work colleagues or your friends. Would they look at you as if you were crazy? Would they question your decision or try to talk you out of it? Now, of course, maybe for some of you here this afternoon, that's not such an unfamiliar experience. Perhaps you know what it feels like to have God disrupt your life, to turn you around, to point you in a very different direction than the way you thought you were heading. And all of us react very differently to the prospect of change. For some, the notion of change speaks of new opportunities. It opens up new and unexpected possibilities. For others, change is unsettling, it's threatening, it's something to be avoided. Now, the story that we are about to read starts with one man's willingness to embrace change, to accept divine disruption, to accept being led, to engage openly with hearing God speak. And those kinds of themes help, I think, to inform the period of Lent that we have just entered, a period of some 40 days leading up to Easter. It's a period where we are encouraged to embrace disruption. Part of the point of giving up or taking up things for Lent is that by doing so, we break out, albeit probably only in small ways, from the comfortable cocoon of settled familiarity. So here's a question for you. Are you giving up or taking up anything for Lent? Now, Lent is traditionally associated with Jesus' 40 days of preparation spent in the wilderness, an unfamiliar place marked by ambiguity, a place of challenge and courage, a place where the unexpected is most likely to happen. John Shred, in his collection of poems, Salt from My Attic, writes this. A ship in harbour is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. And that simple adage is rich with meaning. Our lives as followers of Christ are to be purposeful. We're called to be whole life disciples, those who take the good news of the gospel of Christ into every area of our lives, to take up our cross, to follow the one whose own path took him to suffering and death. A path that both led into and out of the wilderness. Matthew records some very familiar words for us of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For many Christians, of course, Lent starts with a very physical act where a cross is marked on the forehead. The medium used to mark the cross is ash, hence the naming of the day as Ash Wednesday. But that ash is obtained from a very particular source. Ash as the residue left over from the burning of the previous year's palm crosses. So it is that Lent starts with a recommitment to follow the King of Kings, to be identified and marked with the one who deserves our hosannas. So, embracing Shred's imagery from his poem, the question we need to ask ourselves is are we prepared to unfurl the sails of our lives and to sail out into the wideness of the sea? Last year I had the privilege of conducting Tim and Ruth Lamont's wedding. 
During that ceremony, a prayer attributed to Sir Francis Drake was read, and it includes these words. Disturb us, O Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we dream too little, because we sailed too close to the shore. Stir us, O Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture into wider seas where storms show thy mastery. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We're going to read a passage together. If you're listening to this online, Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 18. Uh, just stop for a moment, if you would, and read those verses. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 18. It's probably a good thing, right at the start of this series of readings, to take a look at the context of the story. Firstly, we notice that there's a more familiar spelling to Abraham's name. God, as we will discover, later changes his name at a critical point in the narrative for, for now. And for more than half of his life, he answers to the name Abram. As we shall see from the verses at the close of the previous chapter, Abram's family live in Ur of the Chaldeans, a region more often referred to as Mesopotamia, now in modern-day Iraq. It's an area that archaeologists and historians consider to be the cradle of civilization. It's a place where ancient peoples first started to gather together into cities and established societies. Historians tell us that people in ancient Mesopotamia worshipped a pantheon of gods, ruled by the moon god Sin, who was regarded as the father of heaven and the divine creator. And Abram's birth name reflects his family's allegiance to that God, since his name means the Father is exalted. Also, I want you to notice, contrary to what you might read in some commentaries, it's not clearly stated that God spoke to Abram whilst he was in Ur. It's more likely it was Abram's father, Terah, who made the decision to leave Ur and to travel to Canaan. In that case, God speaks to Abram whilst the family are in Haran, encouraging him to continue on the journey towards Canaan. Now the reason why Abram's family didn't travel on past Haran isn't mentioned, although maybe it was Terah's declining health that was a factor since we read that he died in Haran. But we can't of course be sure. So let me ask you a second question. When was the last time you experienced an interrupted journey? Uh, just think about that for a moment. Think about what happened. Think about how you felt. And perhaps just remember how that delay was resolved. Over two years ago, my wife Paula and I booked tickets to fly to Nice on holiday, an anticipated journey that quite literally never got off the ground. There has, of course, been a good reason as to why we've not been able to get away. But good reasons aren't always so easy to discern within the progress or otherwise of our spiritual journeys. We can simply get stuck. All manner of things hamper our progress. Sometimes it's because we're simply content to be settled, to travel thus far with God, but no further. Which leads me to ask you a third question. Where, spiritually speaking, am I prepared to settle? 
Where is it that I have drawn the line in the sand, if you like, and have said to God that spiritually I will travel this far, but no further? I will commit myself to you this far, but no further. And this theme of being on a journey has another interesting aspect to it from the text. At its inception, the journey was Terah's idea, most likely. So it is that God speaks to Abram within the context of something that was already happening. As a result, God's call gives a whole new significance to the journey. He provides a new impetus, a new focus. From the start of this year, both in our morning and afternoon teaching, as well as in our home groups, we've been considering our front lines. We've been encouraging each other to view the journeys that we make, the normal places we inhabit and the people we regularly meet in a fresh light, to recognise God's calling in our everyday to be salt and light wherever we are, on our front lines, to be red dots amongst the grey. The fresh focus and impetus that God gives to Abram is contained within the promise. God promises to bless Abram so that he will be a blessing to others. He is blessed to be a blessing. And we have no idea why it is that God chose Abram. As we'll discover as the story unfolds, he is as flawed as every one of us. But maybe that fact alone provides the answer, since we are called as ordinary people to follow an extraordinary God. In the next few verses, after the stating of the promise, we learn that Abram's journey towards Canaan. As he journeys, he, he learns more about God's promise. No longer is Canaan the land I will show you in verse 12. Now it is revealed to be the land I will give you in verse 7. The further he travels, the more he discovers about God. And the more confident he is to claim God's promises something he celebrates through building altars and making sacrifices. So here's our fourth question. Where are the markers on our journeys? Are there places along the road where we encountered something fresh about God? What were the sacrifices we made? Let's just thank God for those times in our lives. Now let's stop for a moment and look at the route that this chapter describes on a map. I wonder if, if to any of you it looks familiar. If it does, then it's quite possible. The reason for that is because you were with us when we were looking together at the book of Ezra in our morning teaching, entitled Rebuild, last year. In that series, we followed the journey of another group of God's people. Here is the map of that journey. The story of Ezra tells the story of thousands of God's people returning from 70 years of forced exile in the land of Babylon. These two journeys, separated as they are by over a thousand years, are part of the same story, the story of God's people. The thousands of returning exiles are a reminder to us that God's promise to Abraham earlier in the chapter is being kept. It's evidence of the unfolding story of a great nation. For the people living in exile, the retelling of the story of Abram would have been vitally important. The exile of God's people was arguably the most traumatic and therefore the most influential historical event in Israel's history. 
the Israelites understood themselves to be God's chosen people. They were promised possession of the land of Canaan in perpetuity, as we've just read. But with the invasion of the land by the armies of Nebuchadnezzar and the subsequent deportation of thousands of people, the story of Israel's journey with God was disrupted. Many theologians are of the view that it was during that time, the period of the exile or soon afterwards, that Jewish scholars chose to write down what up to that point would have been by and large an oral storytelling tradition. The exile demanded fresh engagement with the stories of the past. Hence, we get the Torah, the Pentateuch. God's people, both then and now, find hope in the intermingling of both the experience of the present with the stories of the past. As a result, the same question is asked by all generations of God's people. In view of who and where we are, what have these ancient texts and stories saying to us about being God's people today? As we draw towards the close of our passage today, let's just read a few words. This is what we read. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Once again, you may think, well, this is a, a familiar episode. In part, that's because a similar story gets told three times in Abram's life. And perhaps not quite so obviously, there are some parallels and echoes to the story of Exodus. Meg Warner, who writes um, in her book on Abraham, says this. The story functions as a kind of inverted mini-Exodus. Israel as represented by Abram, goes down to Egypt, verse 10, and attracts the interest of Pharaoh, verses 15 and 16. God sends plague upon the Egyptians, verse 17, and Israel flees, verse 20, bearing newly acquired wealth. And whilst that's an interesting observation, and one that adds more weight to a later date for the writing of the Pentateuch, it does leave us wondering if the story has any relevance to us. And as I thought about it, I came to the conclusion that my story of faith, and maybe yours too, can get quite messy at times. And despite the fact that I probably display a surprising lack of wisdom and judgment at times, or I allow circumstances to loom so large that they dwarf my faith, that doesn't mean that God has finished with me, or that he can't use me. So, as we close, whatever we choose to do or not do during Lent is far less important, I think, than whether or not we allow God permission to disturb us. In a sense, the question we need to be asking is not what I am giving up, but instead, what am I becoming? Where am I looking for transformation? Lent is about making space within the day-to-day -day walk of our lives such that God has room to work in us to provide those necessary course corrections for our spiritual journey. Let's pray that together, as we journey towards Easter, as we journey through Lent, that we will allow God to disturb us, to change us, to transform us, to show us something new, to give us another marker on the path and the journey of our faith.